0: go and get it. And when they did, they discovered that he had built three little huts, little shacks. And so they asked him, well, tell me about these shacks. And so he said, well, this is the place where I live. It's my home. And and this over here, this is the church that I attend. And somebody said, well, well, wait a minute. There's a third. What is that? Oh, that's the church that I used to go to. (laughs) So we can even disagree with ourselves, right? It is amazing to me, but this meal, this meal has been the source of disagreement and argument and disputes and hard times and conflict in the Christian community for years. We have argued about when it should be served and where it should be served and how it should be served and what it means when it is served and it has created conflict and war. I was even reading in 1528, somebody was burned at the stake because of their convictions about this meal. Now here's what I want you to get. It makes sense though, because you think about all the stuff that was going on in and around that very first Lord's Supper, which the disciples celebrated with Jesus. Right? At in that room, on the night this meal was served, Peter, I mean Ju- Judas, had already decided to betray Jesus. Peter, bragging for all he was worth, I will never betray you. And of course we know before the night's over, he's denied him three times. The disciples were, were dipping in the same bowl with Jesus, and yet every single one of them by the night was out by the time the night was out, they were going to run away. So there, there's all this evil. There's this, all this evil that's going on all around this meeting. But you know what interests me the most? is what Jesus did. You know what he did? He took bread, he took cup, and he offered it to every single person in that room. Judas, this is my body for you. Peter, this is my blood poured out for you. What is Jesus doing here? What is this meal all about? I've got an idea. Don't laugh at me. I think what Jesus was doing was making a selfie. I think he was actually taking a selfie. You know what a selfie is, right? You take your cell phone, and let's see if we can do it. My battery will slip. up. And uh, you know, you take a picture of what's going on. All right, there, there you all are. And then the person who's taking the picture puts his or her face in it. All right, so everybody smile. Jeez. All right, take cheese. That's all right. Okay. So we just took the selfie, all right? There you are, and there I am. And the great thing about selfies is the person who's taking the photo gets to be in it. People have done the craziest kind of things with selfies. Right? I don't know if you've seen how, how people will make funny faces blah, 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 and, and take a picture of themselves. There's one lady I saw, she, she took tape and taped her nose up like this. She, she taped back to her head, took a picture like that. She looked like Mrs. Piggy. there was another lady uh, on on vacation in Europe at a beach and she's taking a selfie and it's just at the moment she uh, snaps the photo she realizes there's a naked man in the background it was a nude beach (laughs) selfies so I think Jesus was making a selfie he was he was painting a picture that would describe what he was about to do on the cross, his death, but he was making a picture that people and his disciples would be able to think about and look back and depend on for years, and he was right at the center. So if I'm right, let's think a minute about what what might have been in that selfie. So Jesus takes it. What do we see first? We see the table. Uh, they were Jewish folks, so they were celebrating the ancient Jewish Passover. That celebration of freedom uh, where God set the people free from slavery in Egypt. So on the table there were bitter herbs reminding them of the bitterness of slavery. And then there was the bread to remind them uh, how quickly they had to leave Egypt. It was unleavened bread. And then there was a, a, a sacrificial lamb. The lamb had been sacrificed that day and roasted. And that was on the table. And then there were cups of wine, reminding them of the blood of that lamb which had been smeared on the doorpost, so that when the angel of death came through, the angel would see the blood and pass over that family so that they were saved. And that's what was there at that meal. Here's what Jesus does, though. He takes the ordinary elements of that meal and he transforms it. He gives them new meaning. So he now is the Lamb of God. He is the Passover Lamb. He takes bread. He said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. What's he doing? He's telling them about what's about to happen on the cross. He's, that the cross is for them. He says, here, take this cup. It's my blood poured out for you. Again, he's telling them about the cross. But there's something else that we see in ourselves. We see the table. We see how Jesus has transformed its meaning. But then we see Judas. And then there's Peter. And there's Bartholomew. And James and John. All of these people who are doing this terrible evil. Who are going to deny the Lord of the world that very day. That very night. And we see what Jesus did. That he took bread and he handed it to each one of them. He took the cup and gave it to each one of them. Describing what he was going to be doing on the cross and showing his disciples once and for all and showing all of us as well his willingness to sacrifice and love. See, a lot of times we we think about the cross as this historical inevitability or this this tragic event that took place. But that's really not what what the cross is all about. It's God's act of love. It's God's act of self-giving. To set us free as the people of Israel were free. But to give us a freedom... To live life to the fullness. A freedom over our sin. A freedom over our brokenness. To live the life the way God intended it to be. And all that happens at this meal. In the selfie that Jesus takes of himself. So we've been talking now in Lent. About how. Um, the la- we've been talking about the events. In the last few days of Jesus' life. And we've been looking at them and saying these events are not just about what happened to Jesus. They're also there for those of us who are the readers of the gospel to gain insight for our lives. They're there to teach us. We who know the risen Lord, we who are living our lives today in faith in our Lord Jesus, What, what is the gospel? What is this story about the Last Supper Intending for us to do, or to be, or to think, there are a couple of things that I believe Matthew's trying to do. Number one, I think he's trying to warn us. He's trying to say, "Look, if the people who walked and talked with Jesus, or the people who saw his amazing miracles, the people who saw his compassion and his his kindness firsthand, can betray and deny and abandon Jesus, listen, you and I can too." And I think that's true, though. I mean, it's awfully easy to do, isn't it? Let our hearts and minds get focused on other things. Turn away from Jesus. Turn away from our call. What happens to me is I get so focused on myself. And then I just forget. I forget my neighbor across the street, whose son is up. is in the hospital. And I forget the family beside me when there's a new little baby. And they need help. I forget my... My neighbor across the way whose husband died and who's having to move. It's easy to deny. It's easy to betray. It's easy to get focused on other things. Just like these disciples do. But I actually don't think that is the major thing Matthew wants us to get. I think what Matthew really wants us to see is this selfie of Jesus. Jesus. This selfie of Jesus. Because I think what Matthew is trying to say to us is, if you and I will always look at Jesus, if we will look at Jesus, we will see his willing sacrifice and his willing love. And then that can inspire us so that we will share sacrifice and love with others too. So you know that one of my heroines of faith is uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, I've told you that before. She was born in uh, Albania. She became a nun when she went over to Ireland, and she ended up down in India. India. 29 years, she was a teacher at a, a fluent girls' school in India, and in fact, she was even headmistress for a while, they say she was a really good teacher and a good administrator. But Mother Teresa had a sense that God was pushing us, pushing her even farther. That, that she would notice they were in an affluent women's school, but, but she kept noticing all the poor. All the folks that were in the slums, all, all the people who were homeless and hungry outside. And she believed God was calling her to the poorest of the poor. So at 48 years of age, She backed away from that ministry and began the missionary of charity movement. She said, here's how it began. I went out into the street, I found this guy that was sick and dying, and I brought him in to care for him. And somebody uh, calculated that over her lifetime in Calcutta alone, that she personally cared for 42,000 people, over 1,000 people every year. (laughs) People began to find out about her. And missionary charity movement began to spread in cities and countries all over the world. In 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. She didn't even go to the ceremony. She took the prize money and gave it to the poor. In 1997, when she died, Pope John Paul II honored her as one of the greatest women of faith who's ever lived. But I think for a lot of us, if you're like me, I think it was just the way she, the example she gave. Just her simple life. And some of her profound, very simple words. I mean, she, she, she used to say, not everybody can do great things, but everybody can do small things with great love. I think that's That's amazing. I've always wondered what motivated. Her. how did she how did she have the desire to do what she did for so many years always always helping always giving and a few years ago I discovered what it was she had a habit every morning she got up at 4.30am and she went to the little chapel that they had there And she prayed and meditated in front of the communion table. And on the communion table, there was bread. Christ's body broken for us. There was the cup. Christ's blood poured out for us. And I'm sure as she sat there and meditated, she remembered what happened on that last evening, that last supper, where there was Judas and where there was Peter and where there was and all the other disciples. Those who betrayed and those who denied and those who abandoned. And right in the middle, right in the middle, she saw Jesus reaching out to them in service and in love. I think every time you and I come to this meeting, we come with this selfie that Jesus gave us in mind of himself. And we see the tape. We know what the bread is about. It's about Christ's body broken on the cross. We know what the cup is about. It's about his blood poured out on the cross. But in that selfie, you all, don't forget there are all of us who have betrayed and who've denied and who've abandoned. And even like that, that little guy on the island all by himself who just argued and complained about everything. That's who's there with Jesus. And what we see is Jesus reaching out to them and reaching out to us with forgiveness and compassion and love. So that you and I, inspired by that love, filled up by that love, will then go and do to others what Jesus has done to us and love and serve others too. Today I invite you. I invite you to come to this meal. But as you come, I, I challenge you. Think about that selfie Jesus took. Think about what was going on in that room. Think about who you are and what you need to acknowledge and how at this table in this meal, you can receive Christ's forgiveness and love and then let it build you up and send you out to be the presence of Jesus every day to your neighbors, to the community, to your family, and to this world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.